Okay, Matthew 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Will you pray with me as, as we begin? Father, we come before you and before this word that you have given so graciously to us. Father, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul. Who in Philippians chapter 3 says what things were gained to him. These things he's counted loss for Christ. Indeed, he counted all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus as Lord for whom he suffered the loss of all things, counted them as rubbish that he may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Oh, Lord, I pray it would be our desire here this morning to count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we might desire above all things to be found in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. I pray, Lord, for your word this morning that it would go forth. Your truth would be presented. Pray, Father, your words would be spoken. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach each one. Apply these truths from the scripture, Lord, 
how you see fit, Lord. This word of yours that goes forth, it accomplishes what you please. It accomplishes your purpose for which it is sent. Father, I pray that you would prepare each heart and mind to receive exactly what it is you desire for them to know. Father, in the process, I pray that you would continue to teach me. May we learn and be taught from you today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The text begins this morning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In verses 15 through 20, Jesus puts forward a warning to those walking the straight and difficult way leading to life. He says, watch out. He says, be on guard against the false prophet who will lead you astray, who will turn you from the very path the Lord has called you to go on. The warning as we spoke last week, it's also a call to take inventory of your own relationship with Jesus. To be effective in combating false prophets, one must have some handle on the truth of God's word. To keep from succumbing to that swift current of deceitful doctrines and the trickery of men. The words today in verses 21, 22, and 23. That's where we're going to be today. These words, I believe, call each one of us to just simply pull up a chair. And look square into the face of of the king of the kingdom to hear from his mouth what it means to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just as a side note here, I believe this text is a good opportunity to praise him for his goodness because you see, in this text... He is preparing you for what is yet to come. Yes, he's preparing you for the now, but he's also preparing you for what is yet to come. Those of you living day by day with perhaps little thought for the future, you might want to pay attention to what Jesus has to say this morning. You see, his kingdom message is relevant to each one of us in the room. Even as you sit here taking in breath, I want to remind you of something. God goes to great lengths to see that you are equipped, prepared, ready for what is yet to come. His love, as we read earlier, is so great toward you. Do we stop to consider this? And I don't know, I don't, I don't see Dwayne in here this morning. But Dwayne and I were having a conversation last week and he said something that was a reminder and I'm glad he brought it forward. The reminder of how great God's love is toward us. The extent to which God goes to get your attention. The extent to which he provided a rescue from your life of darkness and transfers you, Colossians says, into the kingdom of the Son of whom he loves. He sent Jesus down here to earth, and while he was here carrying out the Father's will, he also instructed his followers in the way they should go. He taught them about, on many occasions, the kingdom of God. In fact, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, says that that was the very subject matter of his 40 days post-resurrection. He taught them about the things of the kingdom of God. He explained to them both the way to go and the way not to go. 
And so out of his great love and, and mercy, the good shepherd instructs his sheep in the paths of righteousness. The king of the kingdom of heaven is preparing you this morning. Praise the Lord for that. He's preparing you both for what is yet to come and for life right now. I encourage you to listen carefully to what he has to say today, to hear him. Oh, I beg that you would hear him and what he says. And then be a doer of what he teaches. As you read this text, as we get to the conclusion of Matthew chapter 7, you're going to come to see the importance and the necessity of saying or your profession and doing and hearing, all of these things are going to be brought together. Professing Christ and practicing obedience to what Christ commands. We'll see the importance of, the, of this very thing today in the text. Kingdom preparations. Kingdom preparations. He's preparing his people for what the kingdom is, what it looks like. How does one enter into this kingdom of his? Well, verse 21, we see Jesus' criteria for entering. Jesus gives his criteria for entering the kingdom. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But here it is. You might even underline it. You might write this down. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus here is setting forth the criteria for entering the kingdom of heaven. The one who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is the one who will be welcomed in. So, question, what's involved in doing the will of the Father? Why are there so few doing the will of of the Father today. A few weeks ago we pointed out and we were looking in verses 13 and 14 at why it is there are so few who find the narrow gate and walk the difficult way which leads to life. And we saw there that, that there are folks who had no desire to take up the cross, Luke 9, 23. We saw there that there were some folks who, they don't like the cost involved. There are many that rather not make a life commitment. And there are many that don't like the idea of completely surrendering their lives to the Lord. But we need to understand, Jesus is not calling his followers to do anything that he himself didn't do. Did you know that Jesus himself took up a literal cross? He took up a cross. And that cross cost him his very life. He died. His life was committed to doing the will of his father. If you read the gospels, you can't miss that. His life was characterized by complete surrender to the father in all things. So when Jesus says that the one who enters the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of his father in heaven, this is the path Jesus himself traveled. He's calling his followers to travel the same path of righteousness. This is the king's prescribed way. This is the way to walk. This is the way to go. Matthew chapter 10, 24 and 25. Jesus says a disciple is not above his teacher. Nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. And a servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more would they call those of his household? A disciple is not above his teacher. You see, Jesus here in the text is graciously preparing his listener. Here is the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do, obey the will of the Father in heaven. What is it to do the Father's will? I'm afraid many fail to even consider the question. Many, I believe, truth be told, are too concerned with carrying out their own will. Too concerned with 
pursuing their own pleasures. Jesus says that the one who enters the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of the Father. There seems right here in the text to be an intersection of wills. Man's will, Father's will. Oh, that our will would be aligned and conformed to the Father's will. Instead of constantly competing, conflicting with what the Father would have. Let's look at just a few scriptures to see what it looks like to do the will of the Father. Matthew chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. You might recall Jesus is in the house and his mother and his brothers come, right? And someone comes in and says, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. Jesus stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Love for the brethren, prioritized by Christ. In the text, it's prioritized even above the flesh and blood relationships. Yes, I just said that. Christ prioritized that. He's not saying the flesh and blood relationships are insignificant. He's not saying that. I believe instead he's prioritizing the relationship among Brothers and sisters, in the Lord. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Church, what is your love like toward the brethren? Or what about Romans 12? Familiar passage. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so doing the will of the Father happens as one is transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you get transformed by the renewing of your mind? Do you just wish it would happen? Do you just hope it might happen? He's given to us his word. He's given to us his spirit. You see, carrying out the will of the Father happens as the word gets in you. But what about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3? Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. In particular, as he speaks of sanctification, Paul is talking about abstaining from sexual immorality. But doing the will of the Father will show itself in a sanctified life. Set apart from the things that you used to do. That would have been your own will. Set apart now to what God wants you to do. See, we got got to be very clear. I believe the Bible, when we talk about being sanctified, being set apart... It's not just being set apart from this other stuff, this wicked stuff, this stuff that you used to do. Let's be clear. He's also set us apart for something. You see, I think there are two words that are used in the Bible. We see them. Flee. Flee those wicked things. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 2 talks about this. Flee youthful lusts. But it doesn't just say what to flee. It says what we're to pursue. I believe sometimes as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have simply just dwelt upon what we're to flee. What we're to make sure we're we're not doing. And the world sees that. The world needs to see, and most of all, the Lord needs to see, that we're about pursuing something as well. Righteousness, faith, love. And guess what? That same 2 Timothy chapter 2 passage, those things we're to pursue, we're to pursue with. With those who call on a pure heart. We get to do it together. The church is to do it together. Pursue him. Pursue his will. Together. In that same 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, the will of the Father is reflected in your life. 
when rejoicing, when prayer and a spirit of gratitude are manifested regularly. Not just on Sunday morning. James 4.15, I put this one down. I really believe that this is, this is how we're to operate right here. James 4.15, instead you ought to say. Remember the one who's planning to go on this business trip, whatever he's going to go and he's going to make business and do a deal. And, and James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You see, doing the will of the Father, when we ask the question, what does it mean to do the will of the Father? What is that all about? It's taking thought to what the Father would have you do in all things. Do we, do we make our plans and do all of these things minus what the Father would think? That's why I especially enjoy James 4.15, because if the Lord wills. We ought to say, if the Lord wills. We ought to be mindful to think about, is this what the Lord would have me do? 1 John 2, 17 says the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. See, doing the will of the Father requires having a love for the Father and not the things of the world. If you read 15 and 16 as a precursor to verse 17 in that passage, you'll see that. One is going to last forever. The other is passing away. See, the one who enters the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of the Father. But, but what is it that Jesus is presenting to us here in the text? He says, not after, after saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. How does he elaborate on that in the next verse? Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, in that day, day yet to come day of judgment in that day Lord Lord have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name so we see in verse 21 we see Jesus's criteria for entering the kingdom verse 22 we're going to see man's criteria for entering the kingdom man's criteria there are three things they say here many and in verse 21 not everyone Verse 22 says, many, many will say to me in that day. Their criteria includes prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, doing many wonders in his name. Church, I wonder, do you have your own list of what it will take to enter the kingdom of heaven? Are you concerned at all about entering the kingdom of heaven. Does that occupy your thoughts? The kingdom of heaven? In that day, what are you going to have to grant you access into the kingdom of heaven? How do you gain access? The Bible gives us an understanding of what that access looks like. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have what? We have access. By faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So how do you gain access? Through Jesus, by faith. Ephesians 2.18 For through him, that's Christ, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We have access through Christ by one spirit. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. How do we gain access? Through Christ by means of his blood. John chapter 14, 5 and 6, Jesus is having a conversation. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. You see, Christ is the only access into the kingdom of heaven. A living, active, abiding in the vine relationship with Jesus, which entails obedience to what he says. This is the way, this is how you gain access into the kingdom. It was just about this point in time when I was working on the message when there was a young man sitting next to me at the coffee shop who was asking what I was doing. And come to find out who he, who he was and where he come from. He lived in the area. Young man, 25 years of age. Kind of in a period of transition. And as he was sharing with me, there was one of those promptings. You ever got one of those promptings? I got one of them. And it was just simply just to pray for him in the midst of his transition. So we did that. We prayed. And I praise the Lord because in the immediate, in the immediate of reading, in the immediate of studying, going through this very thing about being obedient, the Lord gives me a test. You know what? He gives you tests all the time, too. See, when we're reading and when we're studying, when we're in his word, he's going to provide for you opportunities to actually do and practice what his word calls you to do and practice. The question is, are you going to be obedient? Are you going to do it? And you may not know what you're going to say. I, I, there's, there's probably a list of excuses in your mind you're thinking of. Fears, worries, what people might think of you. You know what the word says? That he's going to give you a mouth and a wisdom. I didn't know exactly what I was going to say either, truth be told. But you know what? The Lord gave me words. The Lord gave me scriptures. And we prayed. Just encouraged them. Be obedient. Be obedient to what he's called you to be doing. Remember, Christ is the only access into the kingdom. And let's also remember, you know what, as we look at the text, we see that there are many things that you can be about doing. You can be, you can be a polished speaker. You can know a lot about the Bible. You might travel on a lot of different mission trips. You might be able to share the gospel message effectively with others. But from what I can tell reading this Bible... You're going to be in for quite a disappointment. If your criteria for entrance into the kingdom doesn't align with Jesus' criteria set forth right here in the text. In that day points to a time of pending judgment. In fact, one writer to that point says, The hopes of many who were thought great Christians while they lived will be utterly confounded. The rottenness of their religion will be exposed and put to shame before the whole world. It will then be proved that to be saved means something more than making a profession. We must make a practice of our Christianity as well as a profession. Let us often think of that great day. And as I read that, I was was reminded of Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see what? The day approaching. The criteria of man set forth in verse 22. Perhaps seems like an impressive list. 
to other men. But it's not good enough to get in, church. And therein lies the snare. You will never be good enough for the kingdom of heaven. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop stop striving to be better than your neighbor down the street. or, Or stop comparing yourself to the person who's sitting in front of you or behind you here. You can pile the list of good things high. It's not going to matter. No celebrity status is going to do. No political clout. No credentials. No higher level degrees. It's only by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ, by means of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how you enter into the kingdom. And entering into the kingdom, there are expectations. There are obligations now that you are under being a child of God. And that is to do the will of the Father in heaven. Let's be clear. You don't enter the kingdom of heaven by simply doing his will. Apart from being born again, church, apart from being born again, you will have no desire to be a doer of his will. You don't enter by doing You enter by his grace through faith in Christ alone, believing and receiving Jesus to be the sufficient atoning sacrifice for your sins. The one who enters through the door of Christ is the one whose sole objective and aim then is to do the will of the Father in heaven. And here's good news. The Holy Spirit in you guides you in the way of the Father, reminding you of the very words of Jesus himself. And so the life called for, if you are in Christ Jesus, is similar to those of the fishermen in Luke chapter 5. Remember that? They pulled their boats up on shore. They dropped their nets. They left their father behind in the boat and they followed Jesus. They were now consumed in walking as Jesus walked. Imperfectly, yes. But they nevertheless followed him. So, After Jesus puts forth his criteria, his criteria for entering the kingdom of heaven, verse 21. And then he elaborates in verse 22 of man's criteria for entering. Notice where he goes next, verse 23. He says, and then I will declare. I will declare, that's future. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We see right here Jesus' counter to man's criteria for entering the kingdom. Jesus is going to, he's going to, he's going to give them, what, what is his response to man's criteria? I want you to look carefully at what he says. I want you to think deeply about the implications of his words. There's three things here. He says three different, very important words in verse 23. His response to man's criteria. First of all, he says, I never knew you. This is is heart-wrenching to hear this. I never knew you. With, With great clarity, with great certainty, Jesus says, I never knew you. The word here for never in the original language. It's it's a compound word, and it has in mind not even or at any time. Well, didn't didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do many wonders in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Never at any time did I know you. There's an emphatic nature put forth in the text. Never at any time did I know you. What's he getting at? What's he calling your attention to here? In one word, relationship. Relationship. If you think you can enter 
into God's kingdom on some other terms, if you think he'll make exceptions for you because you've lived a morally decent life up to this point, if you think that for some reason he owes you one for something that you've done, Jesus is declaring, Jesus is professing this morning, I never knew you. We need to, we need to re- remember 2 Timothy 2.19. Paul says there, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. When he says, I never knew you, let's be clear too. From the perspective that Jesus is God, he knows all things. Amen? He knows all things. But the idea here being, I never knew you. The word know is used elsewhere in the scripture for intimacy for a relationship it's in that way that he's saying I never knew you church this is startling I'd like for you just a moment to consider the human relationships that you have to think and consider the extent to which you work on your relationships with your spouse and your children, good friends, colleagues. Do you call your wife, see how she's doing? Are you training and equipping your children? I hope so. For the Lord's sake, I hope so. You see, if we were to just take a step back and, and, and look at, at things in our life, we would come to see that that we're involved in relationships every day. And yet I got to thinking, and I want to ask, how are you doing in your relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ this morning? What's the status of your relationship with Christ? What should be the status of your relationship with Christ? Is there any priority given to this particular relationship? Are there not, from what we see in the scripture, eternal implications involved in this relationship? And yet, how often do we give Jesus our scraps and our leftovers? Read the book of Malachi. He talks about that very thing. Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. You. you know, there are so many concerned about knowing the right people today. Networking, right? Networking is a big deal today. Knowing someone in particular might lead you into getting a job, perhaps, if you know the right person. I'm telling you today that you need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. He's going to provide something much better for you than a job. He's going to provide for you What he says in the Bible, he's going to provide abundant life, everlasting life. Know Jesus. Make it your objective to know him, to know his will, to pray for the knowledge of his will. Colossians 1 verse 9 tells us that very thing. That's what we're to be asking for. Pray, ask him for the knowledge of his will. That we might walk worthy of him, fully pleasing him. What else does Jesus say? Not only does he say, I never knew you. He says, depart from me. Depart from me. In that day, he's going to declare, I never knew you. Depart from me. We need to understand there are repercussions involved when you try to live this life minus a relationship with Jesus. It's empty. It's futile. It's hopeless. Psalm 1 verse 6 says, the way of the wicked shall perish. You say, well, I'm not wicked if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no neutral gray area, church. We need to understand, minus a relationship with Christ, 
Not only is it empty, futile, hopeless, it's going to drive you away from his presence forever. Away from his presence forever. What about his presence? Psalm 1611, I especially enjoy this. Psalmist says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Contrast that verse with what Jesus says a little bit later in Matthew's gospel in chapter 25. In chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. You might remember that story. Chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, depart from me in Matthew chapter 7. Depart from me comes after I never knew you. The good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep hear his voice and follow him. The Lord knows those who are his. Where there is no relationship with Jesus, be assured that there will be repercussions. And for those of you putting off a relationship with Jesus for some time down the road, let me remind you that your very life is in his hands. He has ordained, the Bible says, all of your days. You don't know when your life is going to come to an end. Nor do you know the time of his return. Matthew chapter 25, same chapter. Verses 10 through 13. Remember the story of the virgins. Some of them had gone to get oil. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord. Does that sound familiar? Lord, Lord. Open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I I exhort you, church, to hear What Jesus is saying this morning in Matthew's gospel, without a relationship to Jesus Christ, which includes obedience to the will of the Father as modeled by Christ himself, the same repercussions hold true. Depart from me. That's what lies ahead. You know, we were talking about this text last night in our home. And one of the children made a point about I think, I think the, the, the gravity of what was spoken in the text, I think, I think he picked up on the gravity of what was spoken. He was, in his own way, desiring for something a little lighter, desiring for something that maybe felt better, perhaps. I said, you know what? This text is a very sober text. There's not a whole lot of feel good in this text. I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to insert feel good into a text in which Jesus is very sincere, he's very earnest, he's very sober in presenting the truth. We need to be confronted by the truth. And perhaps if we don't like it, perhaps we need to go back to our room and to our prayer closets and ask of the Lord. And examine ourselves to see if we really are in the faith. Matthew chapter 7 verse 23 concludes with a picture of reality. Look at the text. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Remember man's criteria that was put forth there in verse 22? Jesus calls those things which, which were deemed good enough by the professing Christians. He says here that all that stuff, according to Jesus, all that stuff is nothing more than a life of lawlessness. In other words, 
The wording here indicates, when you read this, you who practice lawlessness, it indicates a continuous, continuous regular action, identifies the unforgiven sin and unrighteous life patterns of those claimers of salvation. You continually and habitually practice lawlessness. That's the idea. Profession of Christ, same writer here says these words, profession of Christ and practice of lawlessness are totally incompatible. A good tree cannot bear that sort of fruit, right? We've talked about that. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know, listen to this, and you know that he was manifested, that's Jesus, he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So one who is a true subject of the king has no desire to keep on sinning. He knows 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 well and practices it when needed in his life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, a child of the king is dead to sin. Romans chapter 6 talks about this. Dead to sin, alive to God. He doesn't keep on sinning and yet professes with his lips, Lord, Lord. As though saying the words provide some kind of safe base for him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. In other words, whoever has been born of God does not make it a pattern to sin in his life. He doesn't keep on sinning in his life. For his seed, the spirit, remains in him. And he cannot sin. He cannot continue in a pattern of sin. Why? Because he has been born of God. You see, there's something different about one who was born again, is there not? Something different. When Jesus refers to these professing believers as you who practice lawlessness, he is placing the reality of their lives before them. Showing them what their lives truly amounted to. Instead of practicing righteousness as I called you to. And by the way, 1 John chapter 2 verse 29 says everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Jesus says you practice lawlessness. You practice sin. In fact, if you flip a few pages over to Matthew 13. You see that Jesus is explaining the parable of the wheat and the tares. Interesting, some of the parables that I've put forward this morning have to do with what's yet to come. Future, judgment. Jesus is speaking of this very thing. And he says in verses 41 through 43, he says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather, listen to this, they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. And will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Oh, I pray we would have ears to hear these things. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I want you to see... That Jesus is pronouncing these words on those who would claim the name of the Lord. In verse 22, you see the name of the Lord upheld. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many wonders in your name? They are claiming allegiance to the Lord. And yet Jesus says what he says here in verse 23. So what's going on here? How can there be some professing the name of the Lord, using his name as the source for their good works, and yet according to the text, Jesus is going to declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Has there ever been a time 
when you claimed the Lord for something when he may not have been the one opening the door for you to walk in a certain direction? You ever claimed his leading when he may not have been truly leading you? Ever attached his name to something that you just did it to make it sound good, perhaps in the ears of others? One group in this text is claiming an allegiance to the Lord. Jesus is claiming that their allegiance is false. It's not real. See, Jesus warns of a false prophet back in verse 15. And he says, you will know him by his fruit. Here in verses 21, 22, and 23, he warns of a false confession, a false allegiance, a false conversion, perhaps. The one heralding an attachment to the Lord, 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 not even born again. Church, it's time to examine yourselves, as Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified, Paul says. Or perhaps this morning you need a reminder to cast off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light, to walk properly, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Romans 13, 12 through 14 says. Church, does the love of Christ compel you to do the will of the Father in heaven? The Bible says he died for all. That that those who live should live no longer for themselves. But for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, it goes on and says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He goes on, he says, we are ambassadors now for Christ. And he concludes that chapter by saying, God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That righteousness of God spoken of, it's to be exercised in your life. 1 John 3 verse 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. In that same book of 1 John, chapter 2, 28 and 29. And now little children, abide in him. That when he appears, that when he appears... He's coming back. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You remember in one of the parables, one of the questions that's posed, will will he find faith when he returns? Abide in him that we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. There are two words of testimony put forth this morning, Christ's and man's. I say from the scripture, let's let God be true, every man a liar. Let God be true and and, and examine yourselves, church. The Bible says, how else can we examine ourselves? Well, the Bible also tells us in Romans 8, 16, that the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. The Holy Spirit does that. Examine yourselves. You see, just a few verses removed from beware of false prophets, there is a warning, I believe, to beware of yourself. False prophets aren't the only ones we need to be taking note of, church. See, because you and I do a fine job, I believe. This thing called self-deception. Verses 21, 22, and 23. Speak to the one who says and does not do. We're going to see next week as we conclude. 
Look at 24 through 27. We'll read about one who hears and does not do. First John chapter 2, verse 6. One of my favorite verses. Speaks directly to what we're talking about here. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He who says he abides in him, that's Christ. If we say we abide in him. We ought also to walk as he walked. The word ought there in the text means that you are under obligation. He who says he abides in Christ is under obligation also to walk as he walked. Church, you're under obligation. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are under obligation obligation to walk out what you say you are (laughs) if you are saying you are in Christ let's walk it out together let's do the Galatians 5 and together in the spirit let's walk this out the text says that the one who does the will of the father is entering the kingdom of heaven. That's where I desire to be. I read this book and I see and I long for, just as Paul did in Philippians chapter 3, long for and eagerly wait for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing. Are you longing for that too? Church, let's be, let's be thinking. Let's be mindful. Not just about today. Let's be mindful of the time yet to come. And as we think and consider that time yet to come, when Christ does return, let us be about what 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says. Let's be about purifying ourselves. Just as He is pure. As we long to see and behold and walk and relate and worship our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this this warning, this alert message that you have put in your text Father I pray that what we would say if we say that we are abiding in you if we say that we are a Christian Father I pray that we would see that we are under obligation to walk as Christ walked and The good news in that is that we don't have to do it alone, but you've given to us your Holy Spirit who will guide us and encourage us and teach us the very things of Christ and will show us and point us to the very path of righteousness that Christ himself walked. Oh, Father, that is such good news. That's such an encouragement. I pray that each one here would long for a real, genuine, sincere relationship with Jesus Christ and having a relationship with Jesus Christ that that would include that would involve doing what this text is called for today doing the will of the Father obedience to the commandments obedience to this word that you've given to us Father may we be reminded that carrying out these commands it is not a burden 1 John tells us that very thing. This is not burdensome to the one who is in Christ, to the one who is born again. May we see, Lord, that without a relationship, there are repercussions. May we also come to understand that there is going to be a picture of reality presented before us in that time of judgment where those things that we have done In fact, the word tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that there is nothing 
that is hidden. Father, I pray we would be people of the word, that we might willingly come into your light, where your light and the word would expose our deeds, that we would humble ourselves under your mighty hand, and that we would constantly be about coming into your presence, asking of you, Lord, examine us, see if there is any wicked way in us, that we might go in the way everlasting. That is our desire, Lord, that we might go in that way. The king's prescribed way. Oh, Father, give us grace to do this. And may your spirit, your good spirit, lead us onward in these things. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.